I've been thinking a lot about church, not in the sense of my job, though that's part of it, but why I love it as a, a thing. I've been a church geek for a long time and really a religious community geek. It doesn't matter. Church, synagogue, temple, gurudwara, circle, assembly, and, and so on and so forth. There are the basic charms of such communities that are always worth lifting up. There are the potlucks and celebrations as diverse as the communities they represent. Everybody eats if you attend a Sikh Gurudwara, or the elaborate feasts when celebrating the Eid al-Fitr, or the old country church traditions called dime-a-dip. Pay a dime and you get a spoonful of macaroni salad, something with jello and whipped cream, or a slice of cornbread on a summer day under the shade of magnolias. One of the faith communities I would frequent often in college was a local Mennonite church outside of Chicago. They're still there, a medium-sized church, maybe 200 members at best. I often say if I were to have some sort of awakening to Christianity, it'd be with the Mennonites. And we're not talking old order Mennonites with bonnets and buggies, but modern Mennonites. They still keep it simple in their dress, their gathering, their cooking, their way of relating to the world. In college, I looked forward to their spring and summer services most. They'd haul a large wooden cross out of the sanctuary, the only adornment in the sanctuary, to the church lawn, set up folding chairs, the preacher would ditch the sport coat and tie, and people kept it casual. Most Mennonites have no need for instruments. They are known for their singing. And we would sing, in the summer sun, a joyous gathering, followed by the simplicity of a Mennonite potluck. If I wasn't a minister, I'd still church hop or community hop, floating around from here to there every weekend, scoping out how people gather, what songs they sing, why they gather, and all of that in between. It certainly sounds romantic when put this way, but amidst all of this, there really is all of that in between. And it's not all joyous. Even with the most cheerful potluck, there is always that mystery dish of burnt or gloopy lumps that someone is so very excited to have you try. Communities of faith are all too human, with plenty of burnt or gloopy bits constituting our life together. The question I've always been most interested in, and really the great motivator for my explorations, for my calling, for this work, is why and how people gather. When I hear of a belief system I was unfamiliar with and how that motivates people to gather, to sing, to dance, to cook, to build buildings, and serve the world, that is exciting stuff. So strong can our hopes and ideals be that we must seek others out, despite the imperfections of such a quest. When you take a moment to step back and answer that question for each community, you get a fascinating tapestry of belief where there are similarities between the communities, but more often than not, great diversity. Take a look at Roman Catholics. Sure, many members, and some of you know this well, go because you think you're supposed to. But think for a minute about the people who are committed to that faith. Not just the priests, but the members who go beyond any notion of, well, I'm supposed to. They go because in that act, they are enacting a drama, a ritual week after week that is thousands of years old. It's a cosmic drama, drama of the highest accord that tells a story of sacrifice, redemption, and returning hope. For the people committed to that, that is why they gather. Think of our Jewish siblings. I'm thinking specifically of the Orthodox, but really it could be any Jewish gathering. 
The call to their temples and synagogues every Friday and every holy day is a call that echoed out from the chains in Egypt and from the top of Mount Sinai. It's a call to preserve and persevere, to feast on Sabbath time, time of rest and celebration, of ceasing from work. Wow. I mean, this, this is good stuff, and we could just keep on going, just look at any faith community and keep going all day if we wanted to. And we can keep going knowing that these observations in the, are, in the broadest sense are, are not complete pictures. Not all Jewish traditions gather for the same reasons, though they are similar. Not all Catholics have this notion of a divine cosmic drama. Not all Mennonites enter with a notion of simplicity. Not all Muslims have the same understanding of submission. But that exercise of asking and observing, of seeing the answer play out in the lives of people and communities is a worthy task. And I wonder if we can turn that inward, at ourselves, at Unitarian Universalists, and specifically the Unitarian Universalist Church of Lexington. Have you asked yourself that question lately? Why do we gather? Have you looked at how we gather as well? Those are great questions for us to ask ourselves. They're, they're questions meant to inspire noticing, and some of that noticing is looking at how you see yourself in this community. How have you gathered? Is it in the spirit of love and generosity, a spirit of sac sacrifice, collective liberation, of commitment and accountability? I wonder. Thinking of these questions and anchoring them in a love of religious community has been my saving grace these days during this COVID time. And if I'm completely honest with you, the parts of my job I love the most have been taken away by this pandemic. And I'm sure many of you can relate in your own jobs and professions. And yet there's some new creative possibilities, new avenues of exploration, gratitude for the small crew of people in our community that keep it alive with generosity of spirit. Peter Block writes, we are a community of possibilities, not a community of problems. And there is where we turn our attention. In our gathering, are we doing so from the mindset that there's a problem with who we are as a community or with an understanding there are possibilities? And well, it should come as no surprise that I would encourage all of us to gather in the spirit of possibility. The recent Commission on Institutional Change report issued to all Unitarian Universalist congregations offers up some of those possibilities. And to me, many of them are really exciting, especially when it comes to theology. Now, theology might sound like the most boring thing in the world right now. Why focus on that? Why talk about a discipline that has and still is in many ways a regurgitating of writings from long dead academics about the nature of God? As Unitarian Universalists, when we talk about theology, we are talking about being called to be a living tradition. This includes everything we do. How we gather, why we gather, what we do, how we do it. And we are a community that should never suffer the words, that's the way we've always done it, or this is the only way to accomplish our goal. Our theology must be living as well. It must begin with you and me and all of us. And we do have a storied history, a history I've lifted up countless times, and it matters that we know where this tradition comes from its complexity, and just how freaking cool our history is. Time and time again, our communities have endured, transformed, and pursued hope with wild abandon. And it doesn't get much more exciting than that. And while our Unitarianism and our Universalism are relevant today, they are, are transformed. 
The universalism of 2020 is not the universalism of the 17th century. Today, it is less about an all-forgiving deity. It is instead, as the Reverend Dr. Sophia Betancourt says, about affirming that there is no winnowing out of the supposedly unworthy that can be named sacred among us. Now, just let that sink in for a bit. There is no winnowing out of the unworthy that can be named sacred among us. That is a loaded statement. It leads to ands, ifs, and buts. It also is decidedly clear. We are universalists. Redemption is available to all, whether or not God is a part of it. And this is where the Commission on Institutional Change starts to call all of us out as a faith. We say we are the inheritors of universal salvation, but we do so intellectually. We don't feel it here, right here, in the gut. But when we really do feel it in the gut, what this becomes for all of us is an exploration of our mutual liberation. Now I can hear someone going, ah, I knew it. This is another justice sermon. Well, yeah, every sermon should have justice somewhere. But our mutual liberation is about so much more than the usual depictions of justice. It's about equity, inclusion. It's about reclaiming faith and covenant. How are we to be a liberatory faith if many of us have never done the work to heal from the wounds of our religious past? How are we to be a liberatory faith if individualism is our highest value? How are we to be a liberatory faith if we don't stop to ask the question in the first place? If freedom and individualism are our most important values, we have little to offer in these times. That's from the Commission's report. And I find that to be the more, one of the more illuminating takeaways from that report. I can find freedom at the Sierra Club. I can find freedom going to the grocery store. I can find individualism reading the New York Times on Sunday morning. Yes, they are worthy values, but what if we stopped focusing on an individual search for truth and meaning and instead focused on a search for truth and meaning as a community? The implications of such a thing? Whoa. It, it means bringing back sacrifice to Unitarian Universalism. It means letting go of a notion of democracy that boils down only to yes and no votes and instead encourages a collaborative consensus model. It means that sometimes we will all have to let go of what we think is right and instead pursue what is good enough for right now for the common good. A good that liberates us from perfectionism and from urgency. What if we came to a church such as this and instead of beginning with me, mine, my, we lifted up covenant, the coming together of a diverse people and the promises we make. In other words, this report and this time, I feel, are calling us to see that the interdependent web of existence means our church communities as well. All of us. The interdependent web is not just mountains and streams and wildlife and, and bunnies and birds. It's not just about working for justice and liberation for those communities over there. It's right here, right now. It's working for our justice and liberation too. Now as a minister, I rarely say the phrase, my ministry. I find it to be a, a, a gateway to narcissism. The calling I answered, the job and work as your minister, it's all about our ministry. It's about a journey and path that, yes, there will be individual pursuits, but ultimately, we chose to do so in community. And that is its own journey and path. I realize it could go on and on here with this Commission on Institutional Change report. Despite the long name of the Commission, 
The report just might be the wedge to get us unstuck as a tradition. And maybe here at UUCL as well. But there it is, though. In asking how we gather, why we gather, and rooting those questions and our arrival here, right here in this virtual space, but also in the times that we have been in the same room, and rooting them in possibility over problems, I just made a critical error. It is one thing for me as the minister to say that we are stuck as a congregation in some areas. Let's just name a few. Welcoming, membership, fostering meaningful connections, commitment, accountability, burnout of core volunteers, putting the burden of living our mission and vision and being the church entirely on the staff, and so on and so forth. There are grains of truth there. Grains of truth as old as this congregation, now over 70 years old. Grains of truth you can read in board minutes from the 1960s and onward. But where are the possibilities? Suddenly, that list, the things many of us know to be true about our work as a congregation, and asking about possibilities, I feel the weight leaving my shoulders. Do you feel it? Go ahead and ask yourself again. What are the possibilities with all that we are called to do in our ministry as a congregation? Ask it again and keep asking. Let it be inwardly digested. Let it work through you and feel the burden leave. For in possibility, there is promise. There is hope. There is no being stuck. Maybe this is where I failed you as your minister. I've let myself get wrapped up in the absolutely necessary administrative weeds for far too long. But now is the time for possibility. Now is the time to recommit. Now is the time for me and for our board and our core volunteers, especially our members from marginalized identities, to say loudly and clearly to those of you who haven't engaged, are you with us? Because this living tradition will keep on living and growing and breathing and moving. And if we are not about connection, then we have lost our sacred mandate. And so here is my renewed commitment to you as your minister, as we discover our shared ministry. This is my call to this community in 2020. And every decision and endeavor will focus on these four things. First, transformation. We need to center our mutual liberation as necessary holy work. Recognizing that liberation takes many forms, from dismantling white supremacy culture to sacrificing the need to be right or the need to do things the way they've always been done for each other. And we need to ask hard questions of how we do things, why we do them, and discover possibilities from those questions. Here, here's an example, crystal clear. Ask yourself why so few people want to be considered for leadership on our board or nominating committee. The possibility here is that it is time to transform what it means to lead here at UUCL and how we lead. Second, it's going to be all about accountability. My letter of call, the letter of call that you all voted on when you called me as your minister, is not just a job description for what I will or won't do here. It's a job description for all of you as well. If our ministry is to be shared, it is time for the minister and the staff to no longer hold the mission and vision of this congregation for everyone. For five years, at least the five years I've been here, but for many years before that, we've been fighting burnout. Your staff has been fighting burnout. No more. And this goes to the core volunteers of this congregation as well. I hear your burnout. I 
hear you and I see you. You do not have to hold it all for everyone. And part of accountability means some things will fall apart. If we only expect our members of color to steward the eighth principle, maybe our yes votes were in vain. If we never stop to challenge the notion that is often repeated that our DRE, I quote, does everything, maybe it's time for her to let go. And I could keep going. Your staff are guides, not saviors. Third, connection. Connection, connection, connection. Our work is to listen to our deepest selves, open to life's gifts, serve needs greater than our own, and connect deeply. I'm committing myself and our staff to only supporting work in this congregation that offers connection. Again, we'll be guides in this work. We won't do it all for you, but we will also center possibilities. Instead of, of talking about the revolving door of membership and dusting off corporate ministry books from bookshelves that really have nothing useful to say or new to say, we will talk about what's possible with membership, what's possible with stewardship, what's possible with leadership. Fourth, renewal and gratitude. Not in a mystical sense, but real, honest thanks. Giving and receiving forgiveness, making room for our humanity and giving thanks for it dealing gently with ourselves, choosing grace, remembering our covenants, offering our gifts, and need be taking Sabbath time, time for renewal and rest. As your minister, I will not serve a burnout machine. I will not serve the demands of urgency and perfectionism. I will only serve the beating heart of this faith, which includes each and every one of you. That is my agenda as your minister, the dime dip for this potluck sermon the shared ministry that we are called to, transformation, accountability, connection, renewal, and gratitude. It's what we've always been called to. I'll be here as the guide, and the rest of the staff will as well. But this is the greatest possibility ahead of all of us, of letting go of the mission and vision of this congregation and handing it back to each and every one of you. That is a wonderful possibility. And I look forward to this shared ministry with all of you. Blessed be. Amen.